This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is a Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer, Al Castle, back once again with my co-host, Dan Murphy. How are you, Dan? I am doing well. I'm getting uh, back in the swing of things. I was out over the weekend at the uh, Shimmer tapings out in Chicago, so I've uh, had uh, a lot of long drives and sleepless nights and busy days, and uh, I'm trying to get back into uh, back into the regular routine. Yes, same here. I'm actually just... Uh, maybe an hour off of uh, getting a, off a plane from uh, a quick family trip to Disney World, did the whole Orlando thing, uh, just getting back, and so much news going on that we didn't want to waste any time. Uh, but just since the last time we recorded, so much news uh, has been going on that we, we wanted to come in here um, with with an update. And unfortunately, a, a lot of it is really bad news. Uh, and, and I think it's fair to say some of the biggest news stories of the year, more than one, have taken place just since we last talked. So um, obviously, the, the biggest being the, um, the news of Roman Reigns uh, taking some time off of wrestling uh, to battle leukemia. Um, we're going to be talking about that in a little bit. Um, also, I think we'll be talking a little bit about some of the controversy surrounding WWE's uh, plans to head over to Saudi Arabia. This has been going on since um, the last time we spoke, but but obviously a lot of uh, developments um, just in terms of current events and, and international news and, and how that affects things. Um, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, right now, let me tell you about uh, PWI. As I said, um, pretty soon we got another issue coming out. But before then, you could still pick up the PWI 500, the 2018 edition of the PWI 500, ranking the top 500 wrestlers uh, in the world. It is uh, available on newsstands, available for digital download, or order it for home delivery. That's the third one. Um, and um, if you go to pwi-online.com uh, and you subscribe, you get a big discount over the cover price. And the longer you subscribe for, uh, the deeper the savings. Uh, Dan, as I said, the next issue is the big women's 100 issue without giving uh, much away. I think we talked a little bit about it uh, last time. But uh, when I ask you about sort of the, the, the process uh, for years, this time of year, when we do uh, the podcast, uh, both of us, I think, are talking about how it is long past due that it is more than just 50, because for years it's been the female 50. This year you had double the workload. D- did it feel like double the workload? It felt kind of like triple the workload, oh, maybe yeah. quadruple. <laughs> well, in a good way, actually. I'm, I'm To be honest, um, this is a magazine, uh, this upcoming issue, I'm really proud of it. I mean, I put in a lot of work with it um, myself, uh, but I've seen some of the other things in it. I've seen the cover. I've seen the layout. And I really think that if you're a fan of women's wrestling, uh, you really owe it to yourself to check this one out. Um, hopefully people will, whether or not, you know, like the 500, there's always some uh, disagreement with who's ranked where and everything else. But what we did with this year with the uh, – women's 100 going up from the female 50 to the women's 100 is we kind of opened it up. Uh, last year we did for the first time and we began to include some Japanese talent and other talent uh, as the female 50. When we first started the female 50, you had in WWE, you had say the Bellas and Kelly Kelly and Eve Torres and, 
and you, you had what was being presented as women's wrestling in WWE. In the international community, it was very different. Um, what was going on in England and especially in Japan, and it was very hard to really say, you know, how can you really compare, you know, Kelly Kelly doing her matches to some of the things going on in Japan. And over the past 10 years, uh, with the Mae Young Classic being a great example, um, really the, the boundaries have, have shifted and uh, the, the bar has raised and uh, we're now seeing the best of the best worldwide. So we expanded our, our uh, talent uh, search in, in what we looked at. Uh, so we were able to include some some people from Pro Wrestling Eve and from Stardom and from Ice Ribbon and from other uh, independent promotions internationally, as well as the U.S. indie scene, as well as Impact and WWE and NXT. So I think it's really the most comprehensive look at the current state of women's wrestling uh, that I think anyone has ever really um, attempted. Um, it was, it was a lot of work, but like I said, I'm, I'm very proud of it. And, uh, I was just, as I said, out at the shimmer tapings, I got to see somebody like, for example, Ginny from the UK, from the WWE, uh, UK women's division, um, see her in person and see her up close and, and really, uh, appreciate her as, as one of the standouts of the weekend, in my opinion, uh, as well as Mercedes Martinez wrestling Tessa Blanchard in a 75 minute, Iron Man match, I heard about which that, is yeah. the longest, yeah, the longest women's match of all time. Uh, so there's a lot of great things. There's a lot of great things in women's wrestling, even beyond the Evolution pay per view coming up. I mean, obviously that's that's big on the national stage, but it's it's rising everywhere, and uh, I'm really excited about this issue. So uh, pick it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I remember talking to you about it uh, last year and, and asking you about. Uh, some fairly prominent women from WWE and a little surprised that they didn't even make the list, but that spoke to only having 50 women um, to, to rank. Right. So with 100, you know, will we see more of um, the women that, that don't make the, the cream of the crop sort of uh, in, on the national stage, or is it the case that even at 100, you've got to leave a, a, a lot of women out? It's a little bit of both. Um, I mean, not to spill the beans too much. Maybe sure. this is a little bit of a spoiler. Um, Alicia Fox. Uh, that was the name I was thinking of. She made the and, list. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, she, she made the list this year in the, the 100, but it's in the 90s. Yeah. And right. the thing is, I mean, she's she's been one of the longest tenured wrestlers in WWE. Uh, she's been active. She's been doing a lot of stuff kind of in, in dark matches and house shows and not a lot of big wins, but... She's been a 10-year veteran of the largest wrestling promotion in the world. That that kind of speaks to something. It, it, it means something. Um, but that doesn't automatically give her a uh, automatic spot on the list. No. Uh, this happened to be a very good year for her. She was in some, some kind of major storylines or you know relatively major, never the championship scene or, or push. Um, but you know, you have to kind of balance the people who are standouts on the Indies who are going places, the international talent that's really kind of setting themselves apart from everybody else, and uh, the people who are on national TV. And yeah. um, so we try to accommodate all of that, and it'll make a very kind of interesting and, and thought-provoking list, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, the thing to do is to uh, go to pwi-online.com. Uh, if you want to be the first to check out the issue and the first ever Women's 100, um, you can get it away before everybody else uh, downloading the digital edition. And there's uh, a lot more to this issue. I've got uh, 
in interview. Well, it's a feature. You know, you talk about how, how quickly news change. Uh, I did a whole story on Cody Rhodes and his legacy as the NWA uh, champion. Sure enough, I think it was his second title defense. He dropped the title uh, over the weekend at the 70, 70th anniversary show back to Nick Aldis. Um, nevertheless, uh, the story still holds up talking about kind of some of the parallels between him uh, and his father. And uh, there's a lot more fun stuff in this issue. Uh, you definitely want to check it out. Uh, and again, the thing to do is pwi-online.com, uh, and you could also uh, listen to the podcast there, or if you go to iTunes or whatever your uh, podcasting platform is, you could subscribe. Uh, if you're on iTunes, please give us a positive review. We appreciate it. Uh, you could send us an email also, uh, podcast at uh, outlook.com, and follow us on Twitter at officialpwi. And uh, you can also find us on Facebook. Uh, all right, Dan, um, obviously the biggest news of, of the week and really one of the bigger stories um, of, of the year for sure uh, is the the just terrible, unfortunate news about Roman Reigns. Uh, he came out at the beginning of Raw this past Monday and um, relinquished his universal title and just dropped the bombshell um, that he is battling leukemia. He said that he battled it once before years ago when he was a young man and it has since come back. And, um, you know, just as you talk about letting the, the air out of the room, um, I mean, it was just such an, an incredible television moment because the place just deflated. And, you know, we're, we're a wrestling show and we write for Wrestling Magazine. And this is uh, certainly a huge wrestling story because of ramifications, but it, it transcends all that. I mean, this is the kind of news that sort of makes the wrestling part of it um, kind of trivial because what we're talking about is um, a a young man at the the peak of his life, a father, a husband, uh, a son, um, who's going to have a really really tough fight uh, ahead. And when you're talking about a second bout of leukemia, uh, it is really really scary stuff. Uh, we will talk about the the ramifications on wrestling in a, in a moment here, but. Um, you know, suffice to say, it's just it, it's just horribly sad news. And uh, look, this would be bad news if if anybody um, announced it. But I think because it came from Roman Reigns and because the reality is that fans have just given this guy such a hard time. And again, this gets to kind of the, the wrestling part of it, which is so less important. But here's a guy that fans have really beat up on in the last uh, couple of years. I think in some ways it, it hurt that much more coming from him, because um, I've seen in a lot of fans almost kind of a feeling of guilt, right, that um, we've been we've been beating up on this guy for so long, and then you hear this just terrible news, and, you know, I think, like, if you saw that video um, of him backstage, like everybody else, you just want to give the guy a hug. It's just, um, it's just so, so tragic. Yeah, you're right, and, and the, one of the many things that really stood out for me, you mentioned the backstage video, is when he hugged uh, Nia Jax, his, his cousin. And, and, and he kind of tried to push her off a little bit, saying, you know, you've got work to do. In other words, you know, like, don't worry about me. You have your own – you have to go out there and do a match. You have to go out and do your thing. And and, and that's the kind of weird difference between, uh, um, you know, my name is Roman Reigns, but my real name is Joe, the, the kind of going behind the curtain and showing the reality like he did in that speech. Uh, the reality is – Wrestling is a really tight knit fraternity, um, and even people who have disagreements, even people who have heat with each other in real life, backstage, and everything, 
if something happens, something like this happens to anyone within that community, they all come out in support um, because everyone knows each other. Uh, uh, wrestling, once you kind of get behind the curtain, everyone is two steps away from everyone else. Um, you know, if you know wrestler X, then by extension, you know, wrestler Y and, and so on. Uh, so this kind of announcement really affects a lot of different people. A lot of different people feel it in the wrestling community. Uh, not to say anything about the fans. The fans obviously do too. And I, I think that you're right. I think there is definitely a feeling of, of some guilt um, because it's fun to cheer or boo or hate somebody because he's made to look strong or being pushed down our throats or whatever. But in reality, nobody had heat, you know, with, with Joe, yeah. they, they had heat with, with Roman Reigns and, and what WWE was presenting him as. And when he came out there and number one, I think it was amazing that WWE did it this way. Uh, it did tug at the heart straight, uh, the heartstrings, but it made really compelling TV. They could have did, done an injury angle and he was taken off TV and then announced everything. But but he came out as himself. And for once, it wasn't Roman Reigns uh, force-feeding scripted lines. But it was this guy speaking in obviously prepared and rehearsed language because he, he nailed it. Um, but he, he really spoke as himself. And he got over I mean, obviously, it's because of the message and everything else, but he came off as a real, vulnerable, fleshed-out, serious human being, and the fans responded. Um, you know, going forward, you know, hopefully he will return to the ring in the fairly near future and, and get someone behind him. And at that point, I don't think you could ever make him a heel again. I think he's the most yeah. popular guy since Daniel Bryan. Like, his, his legacy is set. Yeah. Um, but it, it was a, a very classy way of handling it uh, on WWF's part. Uh, very well done. And um, I thought it was one of the more memorable things I've seen on Raw in uh, at least a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. On, on one point, I mean, as far as, as him coming back, if, if he can come back, if he wants to come back, uh, by all means. But, I mean, that should be the hundredth thing on his uh, priority list uh, right now, even yeah. after he gets better, um, uh, God willing, right? I mean, uh, you know, maybe it's it's something like this that really makes you kind of reevaluate um, just everything. And here's a guy who I'm sure is very wealthy. And um, the reality is that that the life of a of a pro, any pro wrestler, much less the guy, right? I mean, the top guy in the biggest company in the world, uh, takes you away from your your family a lot and your kids a lot. Um, so, you know, I am, uh, and, you know, again putting putting aside whatever issues we've had with his his um, performances over the years or how how he's been booked. Um, not not having to do with that at all, but I'd be perfectly content if you know he decided to step away from this um, um, forever. And and I don't know what you know. Maybe it takes a doctor to to um, explain some of this, but but I don't know. Like even if he gets better, does the the toll that wrestling takes on your body that can't be good for a guy who has fought leukemia twice. Um, so. Uh, I don't know. I think of like like Edge, who we saw recently uh, on SmackDown, and a guy who is well adjusted and looks great and is happy and and has had this life after wrestling, even though he also was forced to um, retire relatively early. 
And, um, you know, I, if if Roman Reigns went that route, here's a guy who really could have the world, um, you know, in, in the palm of his hand. Um, but but you touched on it. I mean, one of the, the revelations uh, of this whole thing is how much this guy is loved. And I think that's something that both fans and sort of pundits like us have had a hard time sort of seeing over the years because – Watching just critically, you see a guy who, like, so much of this is not working, but almost to a man backstage, everybody always supported Roman Reigns. Um, and there was clearly a Roman Reigns, a, a private Roman Reigns that we weren't seeing. Um, and just some guys, you know, have, have a hard time conveying that on, on television. But I think we got a glimpse of that. I'd even say, as you said, you know, less so in the ring and more backstage, those, those exchanges that were the WWE.com exclusives. Um, you know, I even questioned sort of the tastefulness of, of not on Roman's part, um, but, you know, there the, the, the camera follows him all the way back to his car, and there's a point clearly where Roman's like, can I have some privacy here as as well? Yeah, yeah, you know, he, he didn't should. want them to see his rental car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was, and he was I think, apologizing for his uh, <laughs> rental car. But I imagine past that, it's just a vulnerability of, of something like that. But you got to see the real guy, and uh, it's just a heartbreaker. I mean, uh, I just, on, on behalf of, of all of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, a guy who... Uh, we've sold many a magazine um, with him on the cover, um, and a guy who's been very important for the business. And um, we just really, really hope the best for for him, for his family. And again, um, this, you know, what we're talking about, what and, and what what any other fan or pundit talk about should be the furthest thing from his mind um, for for at least the next several months or, or years. I mean, I don't think. I know he said he'd be back soon, but the reality is, um, uh, if this is the the second um, his second battle with something like leukemia, uh, I don't think he'll be back. Not that he he doesn't come back eventually, but it's just going to take a while. This is a, a real fight that he's in for. So, um, best of luck to him. Well, there, there's one there's one um, to use a, a metaphor that you used a little uh, episode or two back uh, but with the silver lining at the end of the rainbow, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> there's the, the silver lining to this maybe is that, uh, you know, I always, not always, I, I have come to think of leukemia as being you know, childhood leukemia. Yeah. Um, that's where I hear about it the most. And, and maybe that's because that's where the marketing is and everything else. So you don't think of a six foot three, 200 and, 50 pound chiseled perfect specimen is, is, you know, being susceptible to leukemia. It's, it's craziness. Somebody in the prime of their life, an incredible condition. It, it just doesn't jive with the mental image of, of somebody with a life threatening illness, uh, which, which is kind of silly because it can obviously affect anyone, but you don't necessarily think that way. And I think that, uh, Roman by, by, um, saying this, he's drawn a lot of attention to leukemia, uh, from an audience that may not have considered it or it may not been forefront uh, of their uh, attention. Um, I saw on Reddit uh, earlier today, Yeah, uh, some a bunch of Redditors were talking about, you know, hey, do we, do, can we do some kind of fundraising? What can we do? And and I, I think that this will draw some more attention. He, he could become, you know, certainly, uh, obviously his health is more important, and, and I'm sure 
everybody involved, including him and his family, would much rather he be healthy than be in this position. But if he's in this position, he could become a, uh, a mainstream ambassador um, who could really draw more attention and more fundraising and, and maybe fight this, uh, this, this type of cancer, um, you know, in, in that way. Um, because I, he's, he's, he's a great speaker when he, he wants to be, and um, he can really kind of galvanize support. So, I mean, if there's any good that could come out of this, maybe, uh, maybe it will help generate more revenue and money towards fighting this kind of thing. Yeah, and and he sort of indicated that that's what he's interested in doing. And and as much as I say that wrestling should be the furthest thing from from his mind, if if wrestling can play a role with, with in inspiring him, I mean, clearly he he was thinking about already coming back. Um, and, and not maybe so much because of the, you know, the wrestling part of it or winning more titles or his legacy, but, but now it's a different kind of inspiration, right? Now it's, um, showing that you can beat this and, uh, right. Maybe sort of be the, the, the kind of poster boy for, um, for, for other leukemia patients, whether it's childhood leukemia or, or, or whatever, um, who they could draw inspiration from. I mean, if you could see, this guy come back from it and, um, you know, reach the mountaintop again, then, um, that'd be great too. But whatever, whatever he wants, whatever's best for him, whatever's best for his family. So, um, yeah. Um, so again, we are wrestling shows and there are wrestling ramifications uh, of all this. And, and clearly WWE already sort of pivoted to, to some of this and, and it's understandable. They, they've got a, a company, um, to run and you saw all kinds of shuffling, you know, uh, but just on Monday night, we saw uh, what looked like an Elias turn. We obviously saw Dean Ambrose turn. And um, they they seem to be kind of now gearing up for whatever this next chapter is. Uh, because, you know, the, the reality is they just lost their, their biggest star. And, and um, the guy who was... Uh, he he was the one who was coronated. He was the the chosen one. He was the successor to John Cena, and uh, they um, you know again, God willing, they get him back. But they they certainly can't count on it, and they have to now prepare for life without Roman Reigns. <clears throat> so, um, what kind of shape do you think they're in? I mean, how what what is uh, a WWE without Roman Reigns? Do you think they are? Uh, equipped to move on without him? Are there some obvious choices to to be that guy, the guy um, following him? I think they are equipped. I think they have a lot of guys that are on the roster who could slide into that spot. I don't think many of those guys have been built up and pushed into that area yet, uh, but they could be. I mean, the, the obvious choice would be Braun Strowman. Uh, Strowman's been at that level for the past year or so, year and a half, um, he, he's got the look. He's got some charisma. Um, he could be the, the world champion and, and be a very dominant uh, world champion. Um, you could really go with Brock Lesnar and, and surprise everybody. Um, I mean, it's going to be tough on Brock with training for UFC again, but he could make a transitional incredible champion until somebody else is, is pushed and ready uh, maybe for WrestleMania or, or sometime like that. Um, you always have, not that I would do this, but Triple H is still available. He can still go. Um, and, and we've already kind of established that the Universal Champion uh, doesn't have to wrestle every 30 days or every week or anything like that. Um, but I, I think that right now 
th- there is enough roster depth and a lot of people that I think could really kind of step up and, and fill that role. Um, I mean, even as much as a, a guy that I was kind of thinking who could do this, and I don't think would, but it always interests me to think, you know, what if they decided to go this way? A guy like Big E. Mm-hmm. Big E's got the size. He's he's one of the most powerful guys on the roster. He's ridiculously charismatic. Nobody sees him as a title threat. But if they decided, if he decided, and, and they wanted to push him in that way, where something compelled him to kind of, you know, not split with the new day, but but kind of make his big push, uh, you know, as a singles wrestler with the new day backing him, I think he could catch fire and and really be. Uh, a breakout star. And I think there's maybe a half dozen people uh, who, who are in that area. I mean, he's uh, obviously a dark horse contender, but Finn Balor's one. Mm-hmm. Seth Rollins is another one who could be there. Those were the uh, two on my list. Yeah, and he'd probably yeah, be the third. Yeah. yeah. But but and then you can go with Drew McIntyre, potentially. Mm-hmm. And if you want to go into NXT, um, you might be able to bring up, uh, what is it, Alistair Black, who just returned, I think, tonight from yeah, this injury. Yeah, not sold on Black, um, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, there's not he's not there yet, but I think that there's some potential there. And yeah. I, right now, it, it, it's, it's a good thing that WWE has this kind of roster depth where uh, you can bring these guys in and, and plug them in and, and find somebody who works. It, yeah. It's not going to be the next Roman Reigns. It's not going to be the next John Cena necessarily. Right, and that's just but the point. It's going to be right. somebody to carry them through. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. It's I mean, there's two different things that we're talking about. There is who is going to succeed uh, Roman Reigns uh, immediately. Who's the next Universal Champion? And it looks like that's going to uh, be be determined at uh, Crown Jewel. And so we know it's it's either Braun Strowman or Brock Lesnar. Um, I think you laid out some of the uh, the upsides to to both of them. With with Brock, you've got the issue of availability. Um, obviously, he he's accepted as a top star, but he's not really suited to um, truly replace Roman Reigns as the guy because he is uh, he wrestles so infrequently. And and when you talk about that, um, you know the 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 baton that was passed from Roman Reigns. From uh, John Cena, that is, who was the ultimate workhorse to Roman Reigns, who, you know, um, um, keeps busy himself. I mean, these are the guys who you see headlining your local house show. Uh, you know, that that's not a mantle that I think uh, Brock Lesnar or, or Triple H or anybody else are, uh, at, at that top, top level are ready to take. Now, that said, I don't think it's, it's necessarily a terrible idea to kind of have... Uh, a stopgap interim uh, kind of thing. I even wondered about John Cena. I mean, is this a, a situation where you you go to Cena, an established top guy, and um, basically plead with him and say, "Look, we we need six months out of you, essentially full time. You know, we we need to get you back up and running um, until we got somebody else. You know, we we groom him, and then you'll pass it on um, to him." Uh, but I, I mean, to me, the, the, the name is, and he's not a perfect fit, um, but it's Seth Rollins. The reality is Seth has been the top guy or, or the most overstar on the Raw brand for the better part of this year, putting on the best matches, getting the best reactions um, from fans. So uh, there certainly was an argument to make all along that really he should have been the guy, uh, and, and maybe this is his uh, opportunity. Finn Balor is a guy who you just see so much potential in. But the reality is that um, 
he's just not there. WWE clearly doesn't see him. Um, now, can he get there? Maybe. But I do think a guy like Drew McIntyre, who you mentioned, is is probably uh, a lot more likely to be given that opportunity because uh, he's got the size and, and the look and all that. Um, so I think it's probably uh, that mix. But, you know, Braun Strowman... Uh, might be the right guy at the moment. He is full-time. And he was a guy who, when he was a babyface not long ago, was super popular. So um, if they can get that back. And, you know, a few weeks ago, they needed heels, and now they find themselves really needing babyfaces. So uh, even though he, he just turned a little while ago, maybe um, if they haven't already, uh, you go all the way with Braun. You, you have him beat Brock, and, and you basically have him go back to the character he was playing before he he joined up with uh, Ziggler and McIntyre. Also on this, uh, so let's talk about taste, right? And the next story we'll get to deals with this uh, a lot too. That night, uh, this, you know, a, 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 a Monday Night Raw that kicked off with as real and as emotional a moment, as kind of a real world moment as there's, ever been on on raw i mean it's it's right up there certainly and uh it, that and daniel bryan daniel bryan's retirement speech i think were the, the two yeah and i mean there have been all kinds of tragedies over the years and those have all been um very real obviously um but ending it with uh the dean ambrose turn and i remember you know when when i heard the main event of the night and i saw the three of them hugging at the top of the ramp uh, you know, what I thought was, well, if they were going to turn Dean Ambrose, they're not going to turn him now. And it just the the sympathy on the shield and on all those three guys and, and how real that moment was. I thought, like, whatever plans they had, they got abandoned now. I mean, this is just you couldn't do it. I mean, it'd just be so tone deaf. And they went and they did it. And, um, you know, I mean, part of me got it you know, from from a wrestling standpoint. I mean, certainly elicited a reaction. And then there's also the reality of, look, they got to move on, right? I mean, um, uh, they, they've got a wrestling company to run. And if this was their plan, you know, I, I don't know that you abandon it um, because it's sort of a, a depressing night. That doesn't mean you have to do it the same night. But then you can make the argument that it was the best night to do it. So I don't know. I'm kind of... Uh, I I uh, can see it both ways, but that said, you know, this incident does not exist in a vacuum, right? And the next story we'll talk about with Saudi Arabia uh, shows that. And and I think what, what bothers me is that I feel like every time WWE has one of these um, decisions to make, sort of these ethical decisions of what is the right thing to do, they always um, err on the side of sort of, what benefits business, you know, that, that kind of thing. And, and you just, um, for once, I'd like to see them not go with the, the, you know, we heard it 20 years ago with Owen Hart, right? The, the show mo must go on. Show and I understand that, yeah. but I mean, could, could for once we like not worry about the show so much. I can appreciate that. I do think it was the right time to do it. Um, the, the Dean Ambrose heel turn had been in the works. It had been planned. It had been hinted at on TV. Uh, they were going down that road. Um, and I think that this night it did have the most emotional impact. And, uh, and I know it, it, it can be a question of taste, like you said. 
but the way they had done it, you, you kind of bracketed the show. You had the Roman Reigns segment in the very beginning, and then you had a couple hours pass, and you had the heel turn at the end. And I think that that's kind of a good way to, to do it. Um, the cameras followed Roman Reigns out of the building. For the viewers, they knew that Roman Reigns had left. He's, he's gone. Um, if you think of it in storyline fashion, and, and maybe we'll hear the story explained a little bit more in the coming weeks if Dean Ambrose is interviewed, you know, why did you do it, Dean, whatever. Um, he, he felt frustrated by his position in, in the group, and he's emotional. He's a little bit of cringe. He's, he's uh, acts without thinking, and, and all of this stress about Roman being sick and this and this. It, it makes sense from a character's perspective that the, the lunatic fringe just lost his cool and, and took it out on Seth Rollins. And keep in mind, two and a half years or so ago, Seth Rollins was a guy who turned on his Shield teammates and walloped them with a, a chair and, and went on for his universal uh, title run. Um, so it kind of makes sense for this guy to kind of come unglued at this really emotional moment. And I think it can make for some good drama going forward. And they didn't do it in the same segment. If they had had Dean Ambrose heel on Roman right during the announcement or something, okay, that's clearly going too far. That's tasteless. It's, it's terrible. But they, they did that. They, they gave us that cathartic moment. They went back to wrestling as is and had matches, had matches. And at the end of the show, there was a heel turn. So I think that, you know, people watch wrestling because it's a escape from reality. And we got some pretty sad reality early on. And the show, like you said, continues on. It went on. So we went back to that escapism. And uh, in the very end, that was the, the most compelling story is, is turning this guy and, and really kind of beginning a new program there. Yeah. Uh, so I think that it, it was maximum impact. I think that it wasn't as tasteless as it could have been, although it was yep. slightly tasteless. <laughs> but this is pro wrestling. Pro wrestling heel turns are always tasteless. Like, and that's just it. Why it's like, would a friend turn on a friend? You know, it's, it just happens. I, I feel like our our standards for for WWE are so so low, right? I mean, you you expect like the absolute worst from them, and if they come a little shy from them, they get a pass. That I is mean, true. Um, you say, yeah. well, it could have been worse, and and heck, at least they waited till the end of the night and, and not in the middle of of you know Roman Reigns' uh, speech. It's like, man, do, again, dude. Is that how low the standards are for WWE? And 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 I don't disagree. I mean, I sort of had the same reaction watching. Is um, you and that's sort of I think what what makes me feel funny about it is that we don't hold them to the same standards as we would almost any other um, you know entertainment organization or or anything else. That because it's WWE, you sort of expect that from them, you know and. It's not the worst thing. It's not even the worst thing they've done in the last few months. Uh, so I, I don't want to make That's Saudi too, Arabia again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I don't want to make too much of it, um, but we'll see. I mean, I, I am interested in in what Dean's explanation uh, is, and I might feel a whole lot better about it um, if it has nothing to do with Roman Reigns. A really interesting thing that they could do, though, is uh, or they have to do is is what do you do with Renee Young? Yeah, uh, because she's an announcer and she's kind of a baby face announcer. I mean, she's she's, uh, you know, fans like her and everything. Do you have her 
um, condemn her husband's actions. And in that case, if you know, your spouse is condemning your, your husband's actions, like how do you go about doing that? Or you kind of heal her and have her make, you know, excuses for it. Or how do you present her as a, a, a character on TV? Now I have to think because the, the Dean Ambrose turn has been into that. It, it's been something that creative must've had in their mind and putting her on commentary was something that just happened recently. They must have had a plan for this uh, ahead of time, I'd imagine. But it's going to be really interesting to see how Renee Young um, can call matches, uh, particularly when her husband is going to be the top heel in the company, presumably. Yeah. Um, on that note, <laughs> let's quickly, you know, and before any of this happened, I wanted to do a whole show talking about Saudi Arabia because it's sort of, the again, it's it, it's sort of the same old song and dance. It's it's um, WWE. You, you put them in a spot where they've got this ethical, moral decision to make, and leave it to WWE um, to make the decision that makes them the most money. And I and I don't want to be naive uh, about it or any of that. And I actually think that in in this circumstance, it's a it's a little more complicated than a lot of people made it um, out to to be. And, and there is a lot of sort of naivete that I've, I've heard out there in the handling of this, but uh, this much is the case. You have got um, a, a government which um, seems to be uh, complicit with the, the gruesome murder of a uh, journalist working in the United States for the Washington Post. All kind of evidence uh, points to it. <clears throat> They're getting some pressure not to run the show. And I guess that's still kind of up in the air. And I know Dave Meltzer was, uh, as early as this week, was talking about how the show might be in jeopardy. Um, and I've always thought, you know, the day the president picks up the phone and, and asks Vince McMahon not to do the show, the show will not not go on. But short of that, I fully expect them to put on the show. Um, and and uh, there, there's nothing indicating um, that they won't. How, how do you feel about it? I mean, is is it as as cut and dry as WWE should just not put on this show? Um, is reality that look, there's there's a lot at stake here. Certainly, a lot of money, a, a very important uh, partnership that that is supposed to last for ten years and bring in WWE uh, a ton of revenue and the hundreds of millions of dollars. And um, you know, jeopardizing that is is a big big deal. Not something that should be done lightly. Um, where, where do you stand on this? Well, it's funny because Saudi Arabia obviously is it's an American ally, although there are human rights abuses and, and a variety of, of things that are very troublesome about that, that country. Um, but we've had American presidents cozying up to the Saudis for the past few decades. And uh, it's, it's so kind of surreal that it's WWE that's being asked to be the, the moral authority. Um, whereas we've had, you know, pictures of George W. Bush handholding the Saudi prince walking through the, the, the gardens and, and everything uh, a few years back. I, I mean, they're an ally to the U S but there comes a time where you have to be, have some kind of moral code. Um, the, the journalist who was killed, um, According to the Turkish reports, he was tortured, um, fingers cut off, limbs cut off, and, and until he died. And again, that's disputed by the Saudis, but it, it's it's kind of back and forth. Um, in any case, it's um, 
definitely not the position WWE wants to be in, and they are beholden to their shareholders. And it's the shareholders' interests that the company is is uh, really bound to adhere to or to to placate uh, first and foremost. My thought is that this is, I think, the first year of you mentioned a ten-year uh, deal with Saudi Arabia, right? Yeah, I believe that's, that's is right. that yeah. So now I don't know what the the legal contract is between the the WWE and uh, the Saudi Prince. Um, can they cancel? Is there an out clause? Are they able to? And if so, what's the the time frame and how much money do they have to get back? And are there penalties? And so that's some of the things that, I mean, that's only known by WWE's legal department and, and, you know, both parties. Um, I kind of have this weird theory that McMahon, Vince McMahon uh, may want Donald Trump to issue a statement uh, declaring that WWE should not go. Because if that happens, they may have a legal claim to uh, either end that 10 year contract or revise it or not be contractually bound. Um, and with, uh, with Linda McMahon on Trump's cabinet, that might actually happen. Uh, she might be able to kind of lobby the president to make that kind of statement. Although Trump has been very kind of slow to condemn the Saudi, the Saudi, uh, government. So it's really kind of fascinating politically, let alone WWE. I mean, I, it, in the terms of national politics of, of how this is going to work out. Um, so I don't know if WWE can really legally get out of this contract without incurring crazy penalties and, and other things that we don't know about. Um, but certainly, and it's been reported, um, though I haven't seen confirmation, just kind of reports uh, that both John Cena and Daniel Bryan have said that they're not going to work the show. Uh, no one has made any kind of official statement on it. Yeah. Well, and if that's the case, there may be some others who step forward as well. So maybe the biggest pressure might actually come from inside the company. And if that happens, really, WWE may want to say, hey, it, we're going to lose a lot of money, but um, it, it's the right thing to do at this point and see if we can get out of this contract. I, I think that's real honorable on on those two guys' parts, and and really they're about the only ones who are in the position to to do that. I mean, Roman Reigns would obviously have been um, a, a third person who I think had enough leverage to do something like that, and could afford to take the the financial hit. I imagine for uh, both Cena and uh, Brian and everybody in the show, this would be one of the biggest paydays of the year. That said, I think both of those guys, certainly Cena, has enough of a financial cushion that uh, you could take this stand and take the financial hit. And, and maybe uh, for them personally, there's a financial benefit in, in um, sort of the PR side of, of not being associated with this uh, for, for WWE as a company, the financial stakes are so, so high beyond the this one show. And I think, you know, there's reports that they stand to make in the range of 40 to $50 million off of this one show. Um, now, how much of that is profit? I mean, apparently there's there's a lot of overhead involved, so the, the profit might be a lot, lot less than that. But I think that the contract with Saudi Arabia is in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, you know, I think it's close to half a billion dollars. You know, they're, they're just not making money like that almost... Um, from any other uh, revenue stream. So 
this is not well, something that they're getting for Fox. For Fox, right? Yeah, the Fox but, TV deal. Yeah, but that's I mean, a long-term TV deal. deal. This is a this is ten shows exactly. that they'd have to put on. Uh, that's it, and and you yeah. could a half billion dollars. It's it's hugely um, uh, rewarding for them, but. Um, uh, you know, this is who you got in bed with. Now, all that said, I, I'd feel less uneasy about it if it, and I said this about the the Greatest Royal Rumble show as well, if it was a straight kind of like business transaction. We uh, have a product, you pay us for our product, we go there, we put on, we give you this product, we put on a show for you, we leave. You know, that's it. Um, I, I, I think you could do that and there are, uh, tons of American companies. I remember looking this up last week, and you know, you name an American company, um, and there's a good chance that that they've got some kind of business dealings in in Saudi Arabia. Again, generally, I think it's it's sort of transactional. So, uh, you know, whatever you you want widgets, we'll go over there and we'll sell you widgets, and we'll get your money and we'll leave. Um, I think what what makes it more distasteful for WWE um, is that clearly part of the arrangement with Saudi Arabia is propaganda. I mean, they are, they, they've essentially become sort of like American spokespeople for advancing the, the regime of the Saudi family um, or the the, um, the agenda of the, the Saudi uh, uh, regime, the Saudi family. And it's what made the, the Grace Royal Rumble just kind of a sickening show to watch. I mean, putting aside how weirdly booked it was, um, there was a, a an infomercial in the middle of the show uh, where where they raved, they had women raving about how we could finally drive cars. Uh, it, it was insane, and uh, clearly they're pulling back from from that part of it, right? So we haven't even heard the the, the word Saudi Arabia um, uttered on TV for a couple of weeks now. But you know, I don't know that. The, the Saudis are going to be happy with that either because I, I do think that more than just wrestling shows, what they're paying for is that propaganda, right? I mean, they they want WWE spreading the message. I even thought, you know, could could you go forth with these next 10 years of shows essentially putting on um, glorified house shows where they would not be aired on, on television or the WWE Network, go there, put on a show for them, sort of quietly put it out and and that's it but i imagine that's not what the saudis want right i mean they want it no, all because over. they're not yeah they don't want you know just shows to to please the, the the fans that show up i mean they want to uh win over and win influence in the american public right. and and really kind of convince you know people to other businesses to say okay the saudis are you know they're they're getting more progressive they're they're finally kind of and they are which is good they're, it's just you know, glacially slowly. And it's, it's still, you know, it's, there's still vile, uh, actions that are going on and in human rights violations, but they are progressing. I mean, it, it, they're moving in the right direction, but not at, at a pace that's commensurate with the, the propaganda WWE is spreading. Um, but they want to make a, make allies in, in the, the Western hemisphere. Um, and that's what WWE allows them to do, to reach out to the masses and begin to attract other investors, other advertisers, other relationships. If they were just doing closed, you know, dark shows, yeah, fine, do that. I mean, WWE has, has toured the, the world. They've, they've done shows all over the place. And, you know, they don't have to agree with the politics of a given country. 
uh, to go in there and put on a wrestling show. But these are more than a wrestling show. These are these super shows with weeks of TV buildup and, and, and so much investment and so much uh, that's being shown on TV to promote them uh, that it's, it's troublesome. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so, but uh, Brian Alvarez with the wrestling observer put out a tweet and uh, apparently it was a screenshot from WWE.com, I believe, uh, or at least it, it looked like it where it had the crown jewel it had the date and the time and the location was listed as null comma null. So mm-hmm. apparently it was deleted the, the location and, you know, because it was deleted, it, it said the word null and it was kind of a goof as, you know, where can I find the, the map coordinates for, you know, null, null on, on Google earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so if that is a legit screenshot, WWE has taken it down on their website, the, the location and that's either that they're trying to try to fly below the radar, which it's way too late for that now, or they're really serious about actually relocating this event, putting it somewhere else. And I don't know how you do that on this kind of tight time frame. Yeah, I mean, I'll believe that when I, I see it. I, I just don't see them. There's nothing I've seen at WWE that would suggest that they would willingly cancel this show. Um, again, if, if they were pressured from basically the highest office to do it, I think they would do it. Uh, but short of that, um, I don't see it. Uh, the 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 defense that um, you, you hear a lot, uh, and WWE officially hasn't said very much publicly, but um, a lot of their talent have been out doing interviews, and they've been asked about it. And what you hear come up a lot, again, is um, WWE being in a position to help affect that change, to help um, advance progress in Saudi Arabia. Does that fly for you as, as a justification, um, for, for continuing this relationship? I don't think it's completely inaccurate. Um, I think that that is part of it. I I think that, you know, companies like WWE are helping Westernize the Middle East and that's not a bad thing. It's a, it's a good thing that some things are, are progressing. Um, it's very, admirable of WWE to do that. Uh, the problem is, um, if you're going to be doing those things, you need to be able to have an open relationship with the country and also be able to criticize some of the, uh, practices that are human rights violations in, in the world's, uh, standards in the world's eyes. And I don't think they have that or they haven't been doing that. So the relationship in, in theory, I think is, is a very good thing. I think just the uh, the way it's it's worked out and uh, the kind of balance of power is all on the Saudi side. Um, I think that it's not really kind of being uh, recognized uh, or, or enacted the way that that kind of relationship should. Yeah. But uh, working with the Saudis theoretically on paper, it's a fantastic thing, and and westernizing the Middle East and and finding common ground between, you know, Christian and Muslim and, and other nations and other cultures is, is an amazing thing. And kudos to WWE for, for having the audacity to try that. Uh, but when it becomes kind of just a, a money game, then that just, you know, makes the whole thing a, a tawdry affair. All right. Uh, uh, lastly, just just a quick note. Uh, we wanted to just base, very quickly touch on uh, Bound for Glory. Last time we, we talked here with Kevin, we were previewing it. I got to go. Um, uh, frankly, I didn't stay all that long. Uh, and as I was telling you before he went on, uh, with all due respect, that's maybe the worst venue I've ever been in for, for a wrestling show. I mean, um, 
I guess on TV, it, it, it might have uh, looked okay. And, and certainly, it's sort of that Paul Heyman school of book a small building and pack it and make it seem like it's, you know, the demand is so much that they're spilling out the doors, which I guess was kind of true. But that's because this was like, you know, basically your your local VFW, uh, essentially. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but um, just a tiny, cramped... Um, and and a a perfectly fine venue, I imagine, for your sweet sixteen or your uh, a wedding or, or what have you. Uh, but for a wrestling show, um, it was just ridiculous. I mean, uh, what, you, if, unless for, you were for the first few rows, biggest show of the year. Yes, <laughs> a national company's biggest for, show of the year. For your WrestleMania or for your Quinceanera. Yeah, your your sweet sixteen. That's yeah. wonderful. Um, so, uh, as uh, that's sort of separate from the show, but the venue was just terrible. I had to leave and I, and I ran into a lot of other people who were leaving and even asking for refunds because you could not see anything. Um, that said, I thought the show was fine. Um, you know, some stuff I liked more than, than other stuff I saw was probably the, one of the worst things I ever saw in that, uh, the, the, the alley, uh, uh, Sue Young match. If you even call it that, I don't know what that was. Um, I thought that was just awful. Uh, but I thought the main event was strong. I thought there were there were a lot of highlights. I thought there was a lot of um, uh, talent that that really shined. You talk about sort of uh, putting together the women's 100 and, and how far uh, women's wrestling came. The Tessa Blanchard match with uh, Ty Valkyrie was one of the highlights of the night. I thought they both looked great, and the crowd was really into it. So, um, you know, kind of a mixed bag, I think, some of the – a lot of things to give you some hope and some promise that that impact knows what it's doing and then also um some of that old tna still creeping in that makes you wonder if they'll they'll ever get their act together completely now on that the, the old tna creeping in i think is nowhere more, more apparent than the main event with the austin aries and yeah I impact, that was. Uh, a bit yeah and, and again this is you know i don't want to get into a long thing of it but um the fact that us, you know, for any fans who, who are listening who didn't watch it, and you know, I'm sure there's probably a lot who didn't watch it. Um, but uh, Johnny Impact won the, the championship. He hit his finisher, and one, two, three. He kind of rolls off Austin Idols and exhaustion. Austin Idols kind of. Austin, or, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. This is not uh, uh, Austin, uh, Austin Idol. Memphis, Austin. 1983. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm an old man. <laughs> No, but over Austin Aries, Austin just kind of sits up immediately, goes outside the ring, starts yelling up at Don Callis, uh, basically telling him, yeah, go expletive yourself, and, and storms off uh, up the ramp and, and out of the, the company. And they announce he's done with his contract, and it's all done. And the, uh, the big debate is whether Austin uh, Aries went into business for himself or whether this is a work shoot kind of scenario or whatever it is. But here's what it is. It's the, the focus of your big show of the year should be on a new champion crowned, a guy who's on survivor, a guy who's got a great look, a guy who's committed to the company and, and can really be the, the standard bearer going forward. And for whatever reason, whether it was pre-planned or Austin Aries, just kind of going into business for himself, the lasting image is a guy who lost the match sulking out and pouting and making it all about himself. And if it was a work shoot type thing again, well, it's WCW all over again, WCW 2000 all over again. And impact is just 
making the same mistakes that others have made, and it's going to turn around and, and bite them in the ass. And if it was legit and Austin did that, uh, I think that Aries needs to essentially be blacklisted. Um, yeah, I kind of agree know, with you. Yeah, I mean, there there have been so many episodes like this with Austin now over the years. This is not an isolated incident. And, you know, his, his reputation precedes him as a guy who could be very difficult to work with. That was his reputation in WWE. That's what led to his departure there. And um, he's, you know, there have been similar stories I, I, you know, not going to that many shows, uh, uh, I've more than once, live in person, witnessed an Austin Aries temper tantrum. <laughs> um, you know, I never had Ring of Honor show some years back. I I was uh, in, in uh, Manhattan Center, and I had a vantage point where I could actually see into the back area. And he came, th- you know, his match finished. He almost got in a fight with a fan, and certainly the fan might have been out of line. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but you got to—I got to kind of see the whole thing even play out backstage, where he's just sort of, you know, I don't want to exaggerate too much, but essentially throwing a tantrum, just kind of going crazy. You have to be calmed down by others, and this seems to, you know, there seems to be a pattern now with Austin Aries and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a shame because the guy is such a talent, right? And um. Well, he did go very far. I mean, you're talking to a guy who who won heavyweight titles on Impact and, and Ring of Honor, um, you know, wrestled on the WrestleMania stage. So it's not that he hasn't had a successful career and now he's coming up on 40. But you wonder how much further he could have gone if he didn't keep on getting in his own way. Uh, with, you're with right. Stuff, if his yeah. head was in the right place, if he kind of understood his role and, 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 and kind of. Yeah, didn't didn't think that the world owed him, you know, a main event push and everything else. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. And it that's was all assuming that, that that was legit, and and who knows? Yeah. Right. It, it, the thing is, it, it's just a shame that that the biggest show of, of Impact's year in this big kind of resurgent year, where they're doing a bit of a, a turnaround, that has to be the bitter taste at the end of the show, and the thing that everybody talks about afterwards. Yeah, yeah, and and, uh, and if you know, if, it didn't have to be that way. Yeah. All right, Dan, thank you so much. Hopefully next time um, we're back. And as I said, we expect to be back um, before long. I'm going to Evolution on Sunday night. Um, and then uh, we'll be talking just a couple days later about the Women's 100. So I expect kind of a women-themed uh, show uh, next week, uh, including, I believe, an interview with our number one ranked women's wrestler in the Women's 100. Is that right? That is correct. Next episode is going to be Ladies Night. Yes, Ladies that's Night right. here at the PWI <laughs> podcast. So uh, yeah, uh, it's it's a a really good interview with number one, and uh, she said a lot of really cool, interesting things. And uh, yeah, next week, Ladies Night, Ladies Drink uh, Half Off, and uh, no cover. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right, Dan. Thank you for joining me as always, and thanks to all the listeners for tuning in. And we will be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>